Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 48 of the Michael Rothstein Show. Coming at you from my apartment where we've done the last, oh, I don't know, five, ten of these episodes, it feels like. I am your host, Michael Rothstein, and as always, this episode is sponsored by Bet Online, where you can use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive a welcome bonus today. Check that out. Promo code BLUEWIRE on betonline.ag. So yeah, it's another day, another week in quarantine here as our very brave first responders, doctors, and nurses continue to fight COVID and try to take care of us, the rest of the population. As always, as I've kind of tried to do in The last couple of episodes, just want to start this by thanking any of them that listen to this show, and if it somehow gives you a little bit of a distraction or gets you by in your day, uh, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us, and I'm honored to do that, And, and same with anybody else, really, who has been listening to the show. I know we've all, even though we're kind of cooped up in our houses, some of us with our families, some of us not, it's still sometimes good to hear a different voice. And uh, if my voice has been that for you and I've provided any sort of entertainment or anything at all for you during this time, I, I just wanted to let you know how much that means to me and how I hope that all of you are staying safe and, and that one day we get back to Uh, What we were doing before, which is talking mainly about football, which we've been doing on this show and and will continue to do on this show as we continue to branch out as well. And we're going to kind of in the next few episodes, I think, hit a couple of other areas surrounding football, surrounding life, while we're also waiting for the NFL draft here at the end of the month. And we'll have a draft preview episode right before the draft starts, obviously, at this point. If you've been following much of what the Lions have been doing or are projected to do, it really seems like Jeffrey Okuda from Ohio State is is the odds-on favorite, although I haven't actually seen odds, to be the selection for the Lions. I've believed that for a while. In a lot of ways, this feels somewhat like the inevitability of last year when it came to TJ Hawkinson being paired with Detroit and... Obviously, they're different players, and it's much different situations, but 
it's really starting to seem like every mock draft is focusing on Jeffrey Okuda. And he's a really good player. I remember talking with now Philadelphia Eagle Darius Slay about him. And one of the things that he said was that he would watch him and he felt like his technique was so good that you didn't necessarily get to see his speed. And that was one of the things that going to the combine, he felt Okuda had to prove or just needed to show. And obviously Okuda did that and has shown he's a fast corner. But technique-wise, Jeffrey Okuda is so sound that I think that that's really going to help the Lions, provided he ends up being the pick. And listen, we'll see what happens here in two weeks. That's two weeks from today. The NFL draft starts virtually. And just a little bit of a preview. What we'll end up doing is I'll end up much like during free agency where I recorded a podcast per day of free agency for about a week. I'll have a podcast every night going into the next morning for you based off of the draft. They'll likely be shorter podcasts and go from there just as a little bit of a clerical thing. And yeah, I just hope everybody is really hanging in there. Um, I've been soldiering through on the big Marvel project as I am now midway through season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I've been rationing my Ozark as I've got a couple of episodes to go, although I'm recording this on Wednesday morning and we'll see if I finish it on Wednesday night or not. Learned a couple of chords on the guitar, which was really exciting for me because, so quick fact about me, I was terrible at music growing up. I was awful at the recorder in third grade. I played the drums after, so at my elementary school, I went to Barnum Woods Elementary in, in East Meadow, New York, and you had to basically write down your, your choices for musical instruments and Basically, you would, I don't really know how they did it, but you gave your top three choices and they would give you one of those three and that's what you would learn. And I don't remember what was first or second or third, but I know I didn't get my first choice, which I believe was the saxophone. So they put me on the drums and for the next four or so years, I kind of learned to play the drums and my coordination was terrible with it. They put me on the timpani drums and... That did not go well. I never really learned how to be able to tune them by ear. And that's not surprising considering I don't have great ear pitch when it comes to that. I guess if that's what you would call it. And I was never able to tune that. I remember my band teachers throughout middle school and early high school getting super angry about that to the point where... In ninth grade, they basically said, hey, listen, you're not going to do well here in band. Maybe you should leave. And uh, I quit band my first semester of high school, which ended up being a good choice for me, frankly. It just that ended up never really being my thing. But if you remember on an earlier episode, I chose to pick up guitar over the last couple of weeks. And I learned my first two chords the other day as I'm starting to try to take lessons daily now online and I learned very briefly the A minor 7 and the C major. Those are the first two chords I really feel like I've learned and I've gotten down. Still don't know if I'm tuning exactly right even though I have a digital tuner but it's something that I am slowly working on and, and trying to at least be somewhat productive during this quarantine along with still writing stories and recording podcasts for you and also learning some Spanish and trying to take some downtime. 
So as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we are having a different type of guest on today's podcast. Sports agent Ken Sarnoff is my guest right after this break. He is a Syracuse alum. He's represented a bunch of players throughout the NFL and his time as an agent, including Nate Burleson. We get a little bit into his time representing Nate and some really good stories. And I think it'll maybe give you a little bit of insight into Nate Burleson. He's now part of the Young Money APAA agency, which represents Jalen Hurts. His uh, partner, Nicole Lynn, is the primary agent there. And he represents a bunch of other guys. And that interview where we talk about what this has been like on agents, what this has been like on rookies, and what free agency was like, and how the struggles there might have been a little bit different this year, coming up right after this break. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. And you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Now, back to our show. My guest today on the Michael Rothstein Show is a very notable sports agent. Plus, he is a Syracuse graduate, which makes him automatically a good person to have on this podcast. He is Ken Sarnoff. Ken, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So I start here with basically every guest these days. What have you been doing to stay busy? What has life been like for you during sheltering in place? Well, you know, obviously, uh, <laughs> been kind of crazy times. Uh, you know, I've been with my wife and da- two daughters, uh, ages 14 and 10, quite a bit. Um, you know, I basically just kind of go down to my basement slash office slash man cave and I work from here and they're up in their rooms doing remote school or the kids are. And, uh, you know, basically, um, you know, just kind of do the day-to-day stuff of, you know, communicating with players and, and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, navigating whatever the new landscape is, whether it be the draft or it was free agency before that. Uh, still going on that front and just kind of trying to do the best we can here. For you specifically, has the biggest change basically been not going to pro days or has there been, I'm just talking about for you, per, for you personally, not necessarily your clients. Has that been the biggest change for you? No, because uh, personally, I actually have marked my calendar. Corona's situation started for me. I started March 13th, basically with the whole social distancing, quarantine, stop going to the office thing. Uh, That same week, Pro Day was March 9th at the University of Illinois, which I attended for a client of mine. And that was the last Pro Day I was supposed to, actually I was gonna go to Michigan's Pro Day, which was uh, supposed to be that Friday, March 13th, but uh, that got canceled. So, I mean, that would have been one I would have gone to, but otherwise it's been business as usual, just working from your home as opposed to going to an office or something like that. So how do you handle, obviously you have two different types of clients. You have your guys who are already in the league and then you have your rookies. Let's, let's start with the rookies. How do you 
handle rookies in this process? Because I'm sure what you were coaching them to do and, you know, advising them on three months ago, it's been totally different. Yeah, it has been. But, you know, keep in mind that, you know, one of my guys, uh, John Runyon, who played at University of Michigan, uh, he had a very good combine. He wasn't planning on doing anything at Pro Day anyway. Uh, the main thing with him was just going to be the day-to-day of, like, stay in shape. And, you know, and he was going to probably have some meetings or, you know, maybe, a, you know, a team workout for the Eagles because he's from Philadelphia and he was going to have one for the Lions because he was from Michigan. But other than that, um, there wasn't much change, really, on my end of it, of what I personally had to do. Yeah, I didn't go to Michigan's Pro Day because they canceled it. But other than that, I would have just been doing the same stuff in the office, to be honest with you. What about for the player? I mean, that because I'm sure you're talking to guys like John and some of the other guys you have. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Pro Day would have been, you know, for guys like that, it would have been, you know, meeting upon meeting. It would have been teams coming through and saying, hey, we want to work your guy out. It would have been, um, you know, obviously would have been attending those local Pro Days. So, yeah, for the player, certainly a difference. Not only that, but uh, John was fortunate because he lives in, you know, suburban Philadelphia. All the gyms are closed all over the country. You can't just go to an Exos. You can't just go to a training facility. So for those guys, major, major, you know, changes, especially if you don't have a home gym. You know, I was reading, uh, who is it? The Bucks player Giannis was saying that he doesn't have a home gym like LeBron does. So he's been, you know, what, doing treadmill stuff and, and doing, you know, home workouts without a basket and without a ball. Uh, but basically – you know, for, for what happened for Runyon, which is very fortunate, is Lane Johnson, who's a client of mine uh, and, you know, lives in the same town as John's family does. Uh, he has his own home gym, like a barn that's a souped up, you know, training facility, basically. And Lane's trainer is out there, too. So John's been working with him every day, which has been great. He's been very fortunate he had that situation. I'm guessing that was not the initial plan. That was not. This was like, that was the plan that was like, hey, by the way, when you're home in Philadelphia for a weekend, you can go over to Lane's gym. It was kind of going to be like that. But this turned out to be his primary course of training, and he's very grateful that he has it. Because most people, you can't go to an LA Fitness. You can't go to an Exos. You can't go anywhere. So these kids are all training on their own. But the thing that shouldn't get lost is everybody's going to be in the same boat. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, a lot of it, as long as everyone's in the same boat, I was reading the Colts GM Chris Ballard said that, if everyone's doing the same things, then everyone's in the same position. So, I mean, when, you, when you're talking to John, and like, and obviously you're part of a larger agency and you guys have a bunch of different clients overall. When you guys are talking to your players, like, do you as agents even have a meeting saying, okay, this is going to be our strategy now. This is going to be how we're going to work with our clients. This is going to be how we handle our clients. Uh, I'm talking about the rookies. Like yeah, I think we did not have such a meeting, but because I think everyone, everyone's situations are different. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no uh, script. You know, you don't handle another client that I'm working with is Jalen Hurts. You don't handle John Runyon the same way as J- Jalen Hurts. What works for one might not be the same as another. You know what I mean? So uh, there's no protocol. There's no script. I think it's just, hey, we're there to help in any way possible that we possibly can. Have, you, have the rookies been like pretty just go with it or are some of them like wait what's going on like how is this going to affect my future here because this is millions of dollars yeah i think the whole country's been let's just go with it my 10 year old's been like let's just go with it i mean there's people you know you flip on the news there's real life situations people are dying 
everybody, people are losing jobs. Unemployment rate is higher than it's ever been. You know, I don't think a player, they grasp, they're part of society. They grasp it. And, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, let's figure this out. You know, say one thing about this generation is they're flexible, right? They've, they've had some curveballs thrown their way and, and they've got to adapt. That's kind of what my experience has been. Everybody's making the most out of a not ideal situation. For a guy like Jalen Hurts, like you said, I mean, obviously everyone's situation is different. How do you end up handling Jalen's deal? Because he's a quarterback and right. some of those I'm work out the prime, to meetings. My partner, Nicole Lynn, is his primary agent. Okay. So she's doing something more on the day-to-day. But Jalen's getting his workouts in. You know, um, he's doing what everybody's doing, which is staying in shape. You know, there's no, there's no script. It's just you got to find a way to make sure that you are, you know, staying in shape whether you're LeBron James or Giannis or whether you're a draft prospect, you're still going to be at some point, this is going to end and the people who are in better shape and ready to go are going to be better off. Obviously a couple of weeks from now is the draft. I'm assuming it's pretty status. Obviously the draft is going to be much different, like televised and whatnot, but it, it for your clients, is it going to be the same for you? Is it going to be pretty much same old? Yeah, I think so. In the sense of, Look, if, if I didn't have a player going in the first round, then I wasn't at the draft. So now I'm just, just watching it at home anyway and, and kind of keeping score, if you will, and making phone calls from, you know, my home office here and, and working business as usual. And that won't change. It didn't really affect my life whether or not I was in the same room as R- Roger Goodell. If I didn't have a first-round pick, then I wasn't. So, you know what I mean? I, was, I wasn't, you know, was it going to be at the draft this year? and therefore I would have been in my basement. So for me, it's business as usual. Do you think it's going to maybe impact undrafted free agents? And obviously, you know, right now it would seem like rookie minicamps probably aren't going to happen, or at least not happen anytime in the near future. How Do you think it's going to maybe affect the undrafted guys more than guys who get picked? I really do. Uh, I feel bad for those players. Uh, I think that if a guy has a wealth of film, if he had a pro day or he had the NFL combine, there's just no way that the unknown guy is getting that same look that he would have gotten. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I just can't see it ha- happening. I see, a, a, you know, teams that are most organized, first of all, are going to have an advantage. The teams that were on this thing and, and had a better scouting system in place and, and have scouted all their guys since, you know, all through the season, you know, they're going to have a leg up. But as for those undrafted guys who fall through the cracks, if a guy didn't get a pro day and he came from some smaller school, he's not going to get the same opportunity. I, I believe that he would have gotten in prior years or, you know, future years. I do think they'll be affected. I think people will move up as a result of that who might not normally have done that because there is film on them. They are a known commodity. So you, you think that could be, you, we could see more of an influx of, you know, larger schools, power five schools, being taken than, you know, the random guy from the D3 school that gets taken in the sixth round that yeah, are like, think, who? I would think so. I, I would think there's a certain value in a sure thing, or at least more of a sure thing versus the unknown. Uh, this is, I'm excited in the sense to see how this draft will play out because this will be like 1986, you know, like the early 80s when they used to call a guy to make sure he was alive before they drafted him. You know what I mean? Uh, you said the scouts didn't see him and overkill it with, with the pro days and the constant barrage of phone calls all the way through and, and hey, let's do, you know, I'm going to be in your area, let's do another workout. They didn't have that. 
Uh, they didn't even have the NFL combine, you know, until the, the early 80s. So, you know, I just think it's going to be very interesting to see how it all affects. I, I think that players that have had pro days, that were at the combine, that maybe were later round picks or even undrafted guys, I would expect them to be selected. Because I think players, I think teams will want a sure thing. A sure thing in the sense that at least they're familiar with the guy, they've seen the guy, they know what they're getting. As far as team, like when teams, you know, like you said, at, like at Michigan's Pro Day, for instance, like teams would come up to you and say, hey, you know, why don't you have John come and work out? Have teams reached out and said, hey, let's do the video conferencing thing? Because I know there are rules on that, like you can only do three a week, et cetera. Like, has that been awkward? Has that been... I don't think I don't think video conferencing and Skype and anything electronic is awkward for this generation of kids. Right. You know what I mean? This isn't like, you know, people who aren't used to these things. These guys are these kids are taking their playbooks on laptops. They are, you know, learning in school remotely. So, I mean, they're just adjusting and I don't think they're that's really a problem, honestly. When you look at the guys that are in the league already, like you said, free agency has come and gone the first few waves of it, at least. How was that, beyond the obvious of not being able to take visits, how did that fundamentally change? And what was that like for you as an agent and for kind of your, your group dealing with that? Because that seemed to be even more different than maybe this process in some ways. I found it frustrating, to be honest with you. I think that, you know, with players not being able to get visits and take medicals and things like that, uh, I think that owners were more hesitant to roll out dollars uh, than they might have been because they don't know for certain that the season is going to start on time or they might be missing checks. And I think in some ways, shape or form, it just seemed like money wasn't spent to the level that it could have been or should have been. I get it. I understand it. I'm not saying I like it. Uh, I just believe that that's what happened. And I, I think that that happened because of an uncertain economic future. When an unemployment rate is the highest that it's ever been, when we don't know, you know, that the season definitively is going to start on time, when you have things like that, or if there'll be an abbreviated season, or if they'll be playing in front of empty stadiums and empty fans, I think that affected what owners were spending and thinking about spending. And yeah, the top line guys went, but I think you saw, and they, got, and they got money that they were expecting to get, I'm sure. But I think when you came into more of the second wave, the second tier, I think teams were a little bit more cautious. And I think that still continues to be the status quo. Have you had, you guys, I mean, knowing some of your client roster, you guys have guys that it seemed like thought would get signed and that are still sitting out there. Is that strategy as much as, interest or is that what you were talking about of teams just aren't maybe willing to spend money on that second late wave of guys yet i think that's more the latter that teams are being more cautious when they can be um uh, you know all of a sudden maybe if you're into the backup player and stuff like that maybe you just wait maybe they're just waiting as i said i think teams are are you know obviously there's salary cap floors that they have to hit but I just think teams are being more judicious about how they're spending their money right now, more so than ever. And, been, yeah. No, no, continue. Sorry. No, that's, that's it. That's all I just said. Has it been, was it harder on players too? Because like you said, visits are involved and there's more, more 
over with free agents, there's families involved and trying to get the feel of the city and a feel of the coaching staff. Like, were there players who were literally like, I don't necessarily feel as comfortable making this decision because I can't do this and that? I didn't run into that. And truthfully, in my experience with free agency, it's, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's all, it's, I've never had a player be like, oh, you know, I don't really like the architecture in Denver or it's too cold for me in Minneapolis. You know what I mean? Like, I've honestly, if the money was right and the situation on the football side of things was right, they've always gone. So you're a Detroit guy. Let's use Nate Burleson. When he was a big free agent coming out of Seattle, he didn't, like, tour, you know, Ford Motor Company or, you know, go see Detroit's finest suburbs before signing that contract. You know, we flew to Detroit and we put pen to paper. You know, the money was right. The situation was right. He liked Scott Linehan, who he'd worked with before. It wasn't like, oh, you know, was, you know, hopefully my wife will, like, you know, hopefully she'll feel good about, you know, Bloomfield Hills or something like that. Nothing like that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you, th- when it comes to free agency itself, like you said, I mean, teams are hesitant to spend money. How do you think that might affect this season? Like, what, once things kind of maybe, whenever they get back to normal, do you think maybe some guys that were, do you think more guys might re sign with their old teams because of well, that familiarity yeah, that's level? Absolutely. That's part of it. And then if you look at who's, who's set up to win and who's not, like, the Chiefs are saying, run it back, right? Well, now they have everybody coming back, right, basically. And meantime, you've got, like, look at Cleveland. You've got Kevin Stefanski, I've heard, is at home in Minnesota right now. So, like, how are they not behind the eight ball, regardless, everyone's in their basement or in their, you know, offices, whatever. But I'm just saying, like, you've got to believe that a team that's bringing all their guys back and doesn't need to learn new playbooks and things like that is going to be ahead of the game and ahead of schedule compared to these teams that are starting with new head coaches and, you know, people where they don't even know which way, you know, the men's room is, there's going to be some differences. What's the, I guess, biggest maybe concern that you have going forward here? You know, I I just hope the season starts on time. That's probably my biggest concern. Honestly, the rest of it, I think OTAs are, are not going to happen. I just hope that, you know, they can flatten the curve on this thing. I've, I've, you know, I was watching, you know, Today's Show and all that kind of stuff this morning, and everyone says this week ahead is going to be the worst week, right? Um, hopefully things can uh, level off and there can be plans and motions put in place that they can have an NFL season starting on time. Uh, I think for a lot of these other sports right now, it's ambitious, hoping that, like, baseball will be back in – you know, in June or something like that. I, I don't really see it, frankly. Uh, so my biggest concern is that training camp begins and that they get it going uh, on time. And, you know, if everyone's in the same boat, then I don't really think it matters, frankly, whether or not you had OTAs or all that kind of stuff. If everybody's on the same level playing field of when this thing starts, then the teams that have the coaches that can figure it out and the players that can figure it out and maybe scale back a playbook or something like that uh, and just figure how to maximize the shortened time span that they had to prepare. Uh, those are the teams I think that are going to do better. I was going to say, but where that maybe doesn't come into play is like you were talking about with Kevin Stefanski and new coaches around the league, especially first time head coaches where like their cat, their learning curve and catch up rates going to be enormous. Exactly. I mean, like, 
if you're sitting there in your Kansas City, you just say, okay, Pat, we're going to do what we did last year. Same plan. Let's go. I mean, seriously, like you, you tweak some plays, right? But everybody is still there. And you no reason to think they won't be successful again, especially when you've got new teams, new systems. I mean, OTAs, I believe, were supposed to start this week for those new teams. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the Cowboys and, and play, teams like that with new coaching staffs in place. So I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of catch-up for those teams where I don't see they're going to be able to be as competitively viable as teams where there's familiarity and continuity. Yeah, one last thing with the free agent part of it is – when you were when you were talking about obviously fo- the football situation of it this year did how much did the COVID crisis come into play as far as maybe saying okay the football side of this makes more sense to go back or to go like the Lions have signed a ton of guys or and traded for guys who have Patriots familiarity so they will theoretically know more going in like was that part of the discussion too in some ways? Well, I can't speak for the teams right. uh, or what they did, but. You know, it seems to me that I would say probably not because it seems to me like this thing has escalated since the beginning of free agency. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, there's uh, teams believe they can get a guy up to speed, which is totally fine. So I I think teams, you know, identified who they wanted to keep for their own and and tried to do that if they wanted to do it. I don't know that the COVID thing um, necessarily changed the landscape and say like, oh, well, we'll be better off just maintaining our own because this is going to hit. I think they had made those decisions prior, and I don't know that it influenced it that much. Just a couple of other things. You mentioned, obviously, you repped Nate Burleson. What was it like? Nate was a fan favorite in Detroit for a long time, obviously has had a brilliant second career so far. What was it like repping Nate? Because he seemed like such a both in tune with like media and – like got all of it, but also just kind of a different cat. He was awesome. Um, different and just in terms of being, you know, better. I mean, he was just a blast to work with still is a great friend. He's, um, you know, he's a great personality and he was, you know, his thing he once said to me was, if you give me a microphone, I'm going to speak into it. And the reason why he was such a fan favorite is because Calvin was quiet and his best friend. And the media knew that to go for a great quote, they could come to Nate and he would step up and he would be a leader and he mentored young guys. And, you know, if you think about it, Stafford was young then. So he was really that offensive leader in terms of vocalizing. Calvin was obviously the alpha in that locker room, but he wasn't speaking. So Nate was kind of speaking for him and almost like Calvin's attorney or representative. And Calvin liked that. So the media liked it too, because Nate would give a great quote and it kind of, you know, brought about a great energy with that Detroit, with those Detroit Lions teams during that time. And they were beginning to, uh, you know, turn the tide a little bit of many years of, of losing. And they kind of became a relevant team when he and Calvin and Stafford were, were you know, a fun offense. Uh, so he was just always a blast to work with. He had great style, um, great panache, just a, a great person who uh, I you know, consider a friend of this day and, and really enjoyed working with. Did Nate enjoy being, I mean, I think I know the answer to this question, but did Nate enjoy being that kind of like mouthpiece spokesperson for Calvin in some ways? Oh, he loved it. He loved, he loved it. He took on a leadership role everywhere he went, but especially in Detroit, he really flourished. He was older uh, in the sense of, you know, a little bit wiser. The, the Lions were a young team and he had grown. He knew Linehan, you know, from, from their days in Minnesota. So he came in day one, knew the offense, 
uh, and was given free reign. He was given license to be himself. He wasn't, he had told me that when he played for Mike Holmgren, it was very precision. If you ran a nine yard route and you ran nine and a half yards, you were more worried about that than you were just free form and playing catch and catching the football and making a play. And the way the Lions offense was devised around that time was get open, make plays. He was coached with uh, the receiver coach Jefferson. I mean, it was a, it was a lot of people who let Nate be free and let him be creative in a city like Detroit that welcomes that, that welcomes that type of like urban flair that, Hey, you know what? It's okay to be loud. It's okay to say we're from the D and Nate just loved it. He loved his time in Detroit. And I mean, how often does he say on a show how much he loves Detroit? He still does. Did you see this second career going the way it has gone for him? Like, was this basically his plan all along? No, uh, not to the level that it went. But the one thing he did was the one thing I'm most proud of as an agent is when he said that he really wanted to do this, uh, I helped him do it. And basically, you know, he, there's this NFL PA program called the Broadcast Boot Camp, which is where NFL players get an opportunity to go to uh, NFL, um, to NFL films. And they spend like four days there in a boot camp learning how to broadcast and the nfl brings in some of the biggest broadcasters guys who do the monday night booth guys who do espn and they kind of teach them how to do an nfl football telecast or broadcast uh and nate won that event it was like 30 guys and nate was voted as the best as the best analyst and then on top of that so he'd won that and then i told him basically that if we were going to do this we had to do it now you had to set yourself up while you were playing because if you waited uh, he would just be another ex-athlete, you know, who'd kind of go on the Comcast station on Sunday nights or something like that. And I did believe he could be more than that. So I flew to New York with him. We met with media agents because that was not my expertise. Uh, just people in the broadcast world. And you mentioned that I went to Syracuse and obviously I've had a uh, passion for broadcasting anyway. That's why I went to Syracuse, as you did. And uh, long story short, uh, we signed Nate up with, with an agent, uh, Mark Lepselter or Max Sports. Uh, and I was there, you know, doing the interview with Nate and, uh, they were a good connection. They were a good vibe for each other. Uh, Nate was feeling it. And four days after Nate got released by the Cleveland Browns in year 11 of his career, he walked into the NFL network and walked out with a job four days later. His first interview, his first interview was a guy by the name of Josh Gordon, who had just been suspended by the league and was the biggest news story in the NFL. And one of his second big interviews was about a month later when a guy by the Cal name of Calvin Johnson suddenly announced his retirement. And Calvin gave the whole interview to his best friend, Nate Brolsky. So he was off and running. I was going to say, those two, those two interviews really kind of put him, I remember those two, like they kind of put him right there immediately. Like, did he talk to you about that after and been like, wow, that, the confluence of that just kind of yeah, couldn't have worked. I mean, just, you know, timing is everything, right? And uh, the timing was perfect for him. I mean, did I see a world where he would be, 36, 37 years old and interviewing, interviewing Lady Gaga before a Super Bowl? No, I didn't see, see that going that way. And the success he's had now doing extra and, um, you know, he's just a triple threat. I mean, there's no, you know, you look at what he's done too, by the way, he didn't play in big markets. He was never a number one receiver and he never won a Super Bowl. Now compare that to like Michael Strahan, who played in New York and won two Super Bowls. Nate has played in Minnesota, Detroit, and he played in Seattle. These are not, and this wasn't Seattle of Russell Wilson, by the way. This was like kind of irrelevant Seattle when he was playing there. You know what I mean? 
not, not to the same level they're at now under Pete Carroll. So all I'm saying is, is what he's done has truly been just broadcasting and his talent. And uh, he makes people very comfortable, puts them at ease on air. Uh, he's cool. He's got swag, but he's also got something to say. And that's why he's very good. Like you said, you went to Syracuse. We hit on that at the top of the show, so might as well kind of close it a little bit here. What made you become an agent? Like, how did that happen? Like you said, you went to Syracuse, and I think you said that you went for broadcasting like I did. Um, how did you end up going from that to what you're doing now? Well, the problem with broadcasting is, is you don't finish at the age of 22 in college and then go into CBS New York. You got to pay a lot of dues. And, uh, you know, frankly, uh, I was very nervous about uh, going to some small town. I was kind of more a city person and didn't really want to spend my 20s uh, going from city to city or town to town and the uncertainty of it all. So I went to law school. And in law school, uh, just the, really the plan was to have something to fall back on. But in law school, I wound up getting a job for the largest agent in Chicago at the time, a guy by the name of Steve Zucker, uh, who had Jim McMahon. He had the 85 Bears. He worked with Deion Sanders the year that he was drafted. So I started with him and learned some things. And um, it was a different world back then for sure. But, you know, basically when I became a lawyer, I went straight into uh, starting an agency. Was there a moment that really hooked you? Well, I think really what it was is being an agent combined a lot of my passions, which was certainly, you know, broadcasting, certainly sports, certainly uh, the law and the media. I mean, it was all there. And uh, I, I don't know if there was an agent or if there was a, it was funny, I was in law school and Jerry Maguire came out. Yeah, that certainly had an impact. But um, I would just say that, you know, it, it kind of brought it all full circle for me. And I get to deal with the media and people like yourself. Uh, and I get to uh, have a good influence uh, or understanding and, and need to of what's going on in the media world or broadcasting world. Uh, and I have a more respect for how hard your job is, uh, seeing as that I was going to school to do it. And so, you know, those kinds of things, that's the broadcasting angle. And then, of course, the love of sports. Well, that was always there since I was a child. Um, the law, well, you know, obviously, if you go to law school, you might as well do something with it. And um, it kind of brings it all full circle, as I said. Well, so like you said, you do, you're more of a city person than going small town to small town, which is what I did for the first, I don't know, seven, eight years of my career. Like, did you actually apply for jobs and kind of get far, that far down the road? Or was it like, yeah, no, I, what, that's... I think I applied for a job in if, uh, northern Wisconsin or something like that. I made inquiries. And it was looking at like, you know, $7,000 radio copy kind of person jobs as well. It, it was looking like a very difficult road, uh, as you know it to be. And uh, that's what it takes if someone's going to go into broadcasting. And, and, you know, I went back to Syracuse in February and talked to uh, people from their sports management and, and Newhouse School. And we were talking about that, that um, basically it's, it's a tough road. It's a tough road. You got to pay a lot of dues in order to make it. What's the biggest piece of advice you would give to someone who wants to become an agent down the road? Well, I would say do something you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. So make sure you have the passion for it, number one. And number two, if you're in college, if you're in graduate school, I would say become friends with athletes, become friends with the players. Uh, I don't really care. You know, if you're trying to get a job, you know, what you got in biology, that doesn't really mean anything to me. 
what does mean something to me is if you knew someone so who was a star football player uh, and you had his ear and that was somebody that um, you had a relationship with. Maybe now you've brought something to the table. Uh, that's something that I think that not enough college students realize, like the practical application of this job is working with young 20-year-old guys and you're, that's where they're at. So, you know, so many people, it's not very easy for me at 47 to walk into a school and just, you know, all of a sudden connect with some 20-year-old, 21-year-old kid. Uh, it's much easier if you're 21 years old and going to school in the same situation with that person yourself. No, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, whenever I go and talk to classes, I'm like, like journalism and college newspapers, I always tell them, you should be breaking every story on your college beat because you're actually in classes. You see these guys yeah. every day. Yeah. And, but meantime, they think like, you know, that the person who's like, you know, hey, you're in a big city and you're 20 years removed from that. That's the guy who should be breaking. That's not true. You know, you kind of have to make your own luck in this thing. And, you know, that's how I think it is for agents and reporters. Did you realize, like, what, did you realize that while you were at Syracuse, obviously, like you said, you were going into broadcasting, but, like, did you, were you friends with athletes at that point? That like, once you made that transition, you're like, okay, like, I can see how X can meet Y. No, I didn't. I wish I had. However, I will say that my first big client came as a result of going to a Super Bowl party my second year as being an agent in 1999. And I ran into a guy at this party uh, by the name of Dwayne Joseph, who's one of my best friends to this day. He went to Syracuse. He was a football player on the football team uh, when I was there. And he was now the director of player programs for the Chicago Bears. And at this party, he told me that he was looking for a client. He was looking for a player uh, who needed marketing help. And I said I could do it. That player turned out to be Marcus Robinson of the Bears. At the time, was one of the biggest stars in Chicago. He became my first big client. And that happened because of that relationship from college. Do you think back at, like, wow, like, how, like, like we were talking about with Nate, like, how that kind of happened for you, too? Like, if you don't get maybe Job X or you're not friends with that, with, you know, and, and end up with Marcus Robinson, who knows what happens? Absolutely. I mean, life is a series of that, though. I mean, that could be in anything. You know what I mean? But certainly everything is connected and one thing leads one situation or one door opens you know one door closes another door opens that kind of thing but uh certainly uh, it's all a lot of you know people ask how you get clients in this business well a lot of it is referral and uh you know kind of going from place to place hey ken thanks so much for coming on i appreciate it and uh enjoy enjoy your office slash man cave at this point and uh, yeah, most, most important stay safe man Thank you so much. You do the same. I appreciate it. So I'd like to thank Ken Sarnoff for being my guest today on the Michael Rothstein Show. Hopefully, maybe you learned something from that interview. You took a little bit of different perspective on kind of what the COVID situation has been like in the world of the NFL from an agent that you don't really always hear from. So appreciate Ken coming on, and I'm looking forward to our next guest as well. On our next show on Monday, that's being recorded later on today. And I think that will be a little bit of a different perspective, too. As always, thanks to my producers, David Woodley and the people at Blue Wire. Thanks, of course, to Blue Wire and to Bet Online for presenting this podcast, as well as to Regents Field for being the overall presenting sponsor. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram 
at Mike Rothstein on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And get, leave us a five-star review if you can, or at least subscribe and download. That's the really important thing here. Subscribe, download, wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps us here at the show. It helps us grow. And we really, really appreciate it as we're closing in on 50 episodes, which feels like a lot since we started back in October. And with that, we'll chat with you again on Monday.